This is a podcast where I talk to people about the things they're obsessed with. My name is Marcus Privet, and this is my obsession. We are here on a hot, hot summer, not summer, New England day. Summer, (laughs) not summer, New England day. It's in May right now. And I'm sitting with Mike Mendocino, a friend of mine from church, but we've spent a lot of time together outside. We love connecting over board games. Sure do. We love connecting over magic for a time period there. Short time. Film Film, a little bit. Totally. But today we're going to be connecting about something brand new. And that's your obsession of? Drumming drums and all things kind of drum related right i've seen you pound on the drums before yeah and it's it's pretty loud it's what i like you're a loud player (laughs) and so were you the kid growing up that was banging on pots and pans in the kitchen surprisingly no i when it comes to like musical exposure at a young age my parents were kind of i don't know against pop music okay you know my dad would talk about zeppelin and pink floyd and they were like you know that druggy music that we don't have to bother listening to um <laughs> so how a rock and roll lover came out of that kind of environment it still surprises me to this day right and i don't really really remember like an early part of my childhood where i gravitated towards drums there was always just this interest in it do you remember a first moment that drums in a song really caught your ear and you decided this is i wish i did but okay. there's it's, there's no like magic this is it moment right there never was yeah yeah <laughs> did you take lessons at all uh, i did uh so much to the dismay of your parents <laughs> no they actually really encouraged it uh they were always pushing for us to get involved in music of some kind uh, early on it was piano and i was kicking and screaming and dragged my feet the whole yeah. time and you know now i regret not keeping up with it over the years yeah i was about 11 or 12 when the drumming passion really started to come to a head uh a head drum head pun intended nice good Um, one (laughs) puns aren't your obsession no oh they most certainly are it's like a deep-seated kind of (laughs) subtle puns are best told subtly um so i was 11 or 12 when i really started pushing towards wanting to learn how to play and my parents were kind of uh, you sure you want to do this and i was like yeah I'm, yeah I'm pretty sure so um i was fortunate enough where one christmas morning 2013 i woke up and there was a drum set in my living room fairly recent 2013 yeah, yeah so i was i was 14 when it happened okay Fifth? no yeah. that, that would mean you're 19 now did i say 2000 <laughs> you said 2003 <laughs> 2003, okay. my timeline is all over the place. Okay. My apologies, general audience. Like, are you 19? Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, 2003 is when I got my kit. I was also very lucky in the sense that they really saw that passion and didn't get, like, this cheapo starter kit. It was, like, a good mid-range kit that I still have to this day. Nice. It's now set up at our church. It's gorgeous. And, yeah, it's just a lovely... It's in good shape. ...lovely instrument. And I tried to take as good care of it as I could, but... So you had taken piano lessons before that? Yep. And then you switched to drum lessons, or were you doing both? Uh, It was simultaneous for a while. Um, In January of 2004, so right afterwards, I started doing drum lessons, Mm -hmm. and that really grabbed my attention way more than the piano did, and I was playing that all the time. What about them made you gravitate that direction instead of a piano? It was... Growing up, linguistics weren't natural to me. It was only, you know, my college years where I really discovered my voice as a person, as a writer, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I started playing drums, I realized, wow, this is this is my natural outward expression. I don't know why. It's just there. It was really cool to discover that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Did you play in a band? I did. I've, uh, I've listened to your. Early, I remember. <laughs> wait, wait! Don't remind me of your band name. It's uh something and 
plastic is plastic in the title more than red lights and plastic more than red lights and plastic people can dig that up on the internet <laughs> you know feel free don't judge it's there <laughs> okay you were how long have you been playing drums when more than red lights and plastic uh rlp started in 2005 late 2005 so i was about two years in at that point nice. um my brother had started playing guitar about a year before i picked up the drums we met with this dude christian who was just starting to play bass around the same time so we were in our very early musical development on our chosen instruments uh, around the same time we were playing a lot we decided hey let's try to do something with this we tried to find a vocalist that is very difficult to do so my brother and this guy christian were just like you know screw it we'll do it and yeah right you know our, our vocals were definitely our weakest point but musically we just clicked because we kind of quote unquote grew up together in a musical sense so give me the give me the origin story of the name we were (laughs) we were playing at a church youth group event that was classic uh it was a weird event it was kind of um a oscar-esque kind of event so it was semi-dress up they had trophies they had all this stuff was it it was music related no, it was okay. just different activities. You just were the featured um, band. There was um, Redneck of the Year Award. I remember that. And <laughs> okay. somebody in the youth group won that because they built a hot tub using plastic lining and the back of their pickup truck and hooked up, you know, the, that's good. the dryer vent yeah. to that to heat it up in the middle of winter. But anyways, that's a tangent that we yeah. don't need to revisit. <laughs> um, so we're playing at the show. We had been together month and a half two months at that point we had a few originals that we were doing and the orchestrators of the event said do you guys have a name we said candidly no we don't we're trying to figure that out the stage we were on had like this really tacky like christmas light ring around it with uh this like i don't even know what it was it was some sort of plastic drapery that looked terrible but they just kind of loved it and ran with it because you know Why the not? youth group budget was yeah. low and just make it happen so one of the orchestrators of the event said how about red lights and plastic like the stage and we're like no yeah, do you see the stage <laughs> no yeah. that's a terrible idea <laughs> so um me and my brother chris were like this is a terrible idea but christian kind of grabbed him christian is a unique individual i love him shout out to christian dearly christian you're the man you know it i've told you that over the years player yes coolest bass player (laughs) um but he he loved the name he didn't know why he couldn't explain it he says can we try this can we like see if this evolves and we kind of shape into this name um the red lights and plastic the red lights and plastic yeah uh my brother was a firm no right i love that unless Uh you can come up with some sort of reason or explanation for the name okay the name for the sake of the name he was not okay with but if it meant something sure so christian thought about this he brewed and came up with more than red lights and plastic okay that was to signify we were a christian yeah yeah youth band um were your lyrics pretty uh not explicitly christian but there was definitely like a message there yeah um more focusing on like the world how we perceive it and where certain holes need to be filled and can be filled with Hmm. you know christ and all that stuff so more than realize in plastic i don't think i knew that about the band name the uh cool yeah uh, what he kind of presented was that the world offers all of these distractions, you know, the red lights, the shiny things, the plastic, the useful tools that we can kind of surround ourselves in to create this comfort level, but that can only go so far, and God offers more than more red, than lights, red and lights and plastic. Wow. That's the thing. Super deep, not really, but we... High school theology. We stuck with There's it. There's something very precious about high school band names. Oh, Yeah. The high school, you can really get into a high school psyche by hearing various high school band names. Sure. My um, my high school band was named First Aid Kit. <laughs> Can't tell you why. I have no idea why. 
and yeah, it's sometimes it's better not knowing. Sometimes it's better not uh, knowing. Like I know the guys from Death Cab for Cutie are always asked, "Why is the band called Death Cab for Cutie?" They won't answer anymore because they're just sick. What do you know the origin story? I don't. Or? You don't because every interview I've seen, I can't find one where he tries to explain it. Yeah, right. It's just like it's not. No, we're done. We're, it's just the band. Accept it. Right here we are. <laughs> You gave me a CD of more than Red Lights and Plastic. I did. About a year ago. Yeah. And there is actually one song on there that I still jam to. No kidding. But which one, what's one's like, which one is the best? The, I mean, best, uh, but most popular. Did our, you have a hit? Our one hit was Public Transportation. Yes. Which was the opening track. Yes. Um, we, <laughs> I, I really felt for all bands who became one hit wonders over the years because okay. of that song, we couldn't get away with playing a show. If there was someone in the audience who had heard us before, we couldn't play a show without playing that. Without public transportation. Yeah. It's good. It, it was a solid tune. I'm very proud of that yeah, song. And yeah. what kind Listeners, of... so I'm going to try to push a rebirth of public transportation more than Relights and Plastic. I'm pretty sure you can still find us on myspace okay <laughs> it's still there you know the glory days of myspace and all there. <laughs> yeah so if it, whoever's listening to this go listen to public transportation more than, more than, than lights and plastic. plastic maybe on myspace music yeah if not it's not on youtube or, or anything <laughs> no, no yeah no, no. that was pre-youtube days yeah right all the bands were doing myspace back then okay so you were a drummer in weather lights and plastic yeah and i'm assuming that put you behind the kit more yes you were and what did it can you remember what it was felt like performing um did you love that aspect of it i was scared to death of going into performing i remember our first show you know after the the youth group gig with the red lights and plastic um it was at a much bigger setting it was like a regional like christian music monthly get together it was it was for like up-and-coming bands like me to kind of have somewhere to play side comment i have noticed how many modern professional musicians trace their beginning music into a church Mm -hmm. it's crazy like i think i mean regardless of where you are on the spiritual spectrum Mm -hmm. i would say the average church goer youth church goer has way more exposure to music and room to perform and room to explore. Totally. Than the non-church girl. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. And it's free. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. So why not? Why um, not? So we were playing at this event, and I was scared. I was shaking. I was sweating like a pig. And Chris and Christian were saying to me, you got to chill out, and we think we know the way you're going to do it. And I said, what could that be? Mm-hmm. They said that I was going to be the one to introduce us. I was going on stage by myself, walking up to the microphone and introducing our group, getting the people hyped, and they wouldn't go on unless I did it. This was wow. like minutes beforehand. This is, this is in, in So uh, all the dread. I go up there. All of a sudden, like this charisma and confidence kind of just consumes me and i've never been nervous on a stage since it just like you see when i'm when i'm playing drums i'm in my element i'm there to do what i do it's it's just it doesn't matter how many people are there it's just what i do it's expressing yeah it was a wild experience what about if you're regular like if you're speaking regularly uh, not behind a drum Like kit. public speaking sure. is still a little rocky. But again, that goes back to my origins of finding my voice on the kit. And I'm still like, I'm Love. still in the process of finding my voice. So this whole podcast recording thing, I'm going to listen to the recording and say, oh, wow, he sounds terrible. Do I really sound like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So everyone <laughs> has that. Um, but yeah, I don't feel that on the drums. That's really fascinating. It just comes out of me. Would do you identify? So I know nothing really about drums. Okay. I know I mentioned to you before this that the only thing I know about drums is Travis Barker, mm-hmm. one of my favorite bands, Blink One Eighty Two. Sure. And other musical endeavors that he went on. Yeah, Bachar Racer. He's amazing. Stuff. Yeah. He's like, arguably the best. Arguably. Mark? Arguably. Okay. <laughs> okay. Is he in the conversation? Uh, not my conversation. Oh, okay. Uh, he uh, he has little to no influence on me. I I didn't really get deep into like the punk punk pop genre. So Sk- put Sky him, was put him in like a. I don't know anything about drums, right? So like I said, but I don't know like styles or um, traditions. Okay. Or 
Um, so first, tell me what you tend to go more towards as a drummer. Um, I was raised in church environments, so like setting an atmosphere is like my greatest joy to do on the drums. Not okay. being showy, not being, you know, extra, but just like setting the right. mood, setting like something that people, setting an atmosphere that people can really grab, something tangible, something you could just taste. Just mm. taste it. Yeah, right. So what's the, <laughs> um, I mean, like the actual practical steps to doing that? Um, or some of your favorite atmosphere creating patterns? Patterns, it's, it's, it's a weird, I, I don't really know how to express that i don't have any like key examples it's much more about what you don't play than what you do which is Whoa. kind of counterintuitive yeah but it's very very true hmm. you see a lot of drummers who will try to kind of take over and be like showmen more than accommodating the music and oh, i can't remember the dude's name there's this famous in the drummer community, this mm-hmm. famous interview with this uh, clinic drummer. And he was saying that the difference between a good drummer and a bad drummer isn't their skills. It's their ability to do what the music requires of them, regardless of where they are headspace wise, musically it doesn't matter. Whoa. It's your job is to facilitate a musical expression that you know expresses the song not you mm-hmm. you're just a conduit of the music do you agree absolutely nice. absolutely um now that being said uh a lot of my like early drummer influences were kind of the more flashy i guess you could say self-serving drummers but that was a means to an end. I found out after mm-hmm. a couple of years that really pushed me to like work on my chops and uh, technical music understanding. But I got to a certain point where I realized, Hey, I'm not going to be playing progressive rock like ever. It's just clearly not in the cards for me. Right. I've tried. It's a no go. Right. But what can I do with what I learned from that? and kind of shape it into something. I didn't know what that something was. Um, and there was this evolution, this self-discovery period musically where I realized that was my forte, was like setting atmospheres and really, it's that every human is a drummer, but they just don't know it. They took drum lessons from a very early age, but they just don't know it. The first, you know nine months of their existence, pre-existence, whatever you want to call it. Love. They were taught that. Yeah. From a very early age. So that kind of just rhythmic affinity is in humans. And that kind of shows that you look at, you know, cultures spanning thousands of years back, there was this percussive awareness everything it doesn't matter what other instruments were involved there was always a percussive rhythmic presence in all cultures and all music hmm. and it's just yeah what is rhythm um th- th- we can get trippy really fast on this well, okay so you're not looking for the like uh berkeley school of music thesis paper no i, I just think rhythm? it's i mean it's it's interesting to me that I never looked at drums the way you just described it. Yeah. But there is something inherent to rhythm that we all agree is necessary. Mm-hmm. And I just want to know what what is it that we're agreeing to. I wonder and, if it stems from that, that initial listening to your mother's heartbeat. And that's, oh my gosh. that's something we learned. That's something that's like a raw, primitive comfort level, hmm. comfort zone. And in some odd way... Travis Barker on a stage is right reflecting his mother's heartbeat. That yeah, year. he's pulling that and a few musical examples. Yeah, yeah. So you brought music. Um, so that heartbeat pattern. Yeah. Was captured mid two thousands, 
very well by the band the red hot chili peppers okay so if you listen I'm, to I'm like excited to see where you're going to take me here the bass drum in this song i don't know how many people out there kind of can you know pick out certain drum aspects in a song not really being introduced or knowledgeable about those kind of things mm -hmm. just listen to the drums see where it takes you That's a heartbeat. That's the human heartbeat, whether we want to yeah. look at it through the lens of uh, Chad Smith or not. Yeah. It's there. And so taking that primal, essential part of human nature and applying it to a musical setting. It, you, you mentioned earlier that the good drummer is the one that accompanies the song. Yeah. Right? And so in some ways, it's the good drummer is the drummer that you don't necessarily know is there. Right? Sure. And That's I think about that with heartbeat. Mm -hmm. That my heart is going literally all the time. Whether you're thinking stopped, about it or not. Die. Whether yeah. I'm thinking about it or not. Um, I don't know. I like that connection before. I've never thought about drums as a heartbeat. Yeah. That's kind of rad. It's great. Yeah. So I hope that like you can carry that <laughs> for the rest that. of your life. I'll take that one with Every me. time you're listening to music, hey, what, is, what are the drums speaking? What yeah. are they trying to say? Right. Yeah. So... You just dropped Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Would you call them a, a drumming influence for you? They're kind of a drumming influence for everyone who grew up. Okay. And, <laughs> you know, who was born in the early 90s or late 80s. Um, Chad Smith was never like, he was never like the top dog in terms of like the higher echelon of technical guys. But he just laid down the funk. He did his thing. And no one could dispute that so you mentioned the word technical what does that mean um what is a technical drummer a technical drummer deals a lot with polyrhythms which is like simultaneous rhythmic patterns overlapping each other through one person which is not easy to kind of wrap your head around mm -hmm. um a technical drummer will be very proficient in speed kind of accenting what everyone else is doing. Well, that's more of um, specific to progressive rock that really shines through a lot, okay. which is a genre that I discovered in, that was like 2005, so I was 14, 15 okay. years old at the time. Um, and that, before that point, I was listening to like Christian bands, you know, I was into ska at that point. but Love. it yeah, ska. Whoa. Christian ska. Yeah, about, dude. Five Iron Frenzy. Well, again, whether you're on the spiritual spectrum or not, get into Christian ska because there's some good stuff that's buried that's kind of lost in the musical oh, yeah. canon in some ways. One of my favorite albums to date, Five Iron Frenzy's Quantity is Job One. So good. Look it up, people. Yeah. <laughs> <Look at that. laughs> two, two musical assignments. More than Red Lights and Plastic. I'm sure there will be more as this goes yeah, right, on, right. but so I hope you're taking diligent notes. So, do you have any examples of progressive rock? Progressive rock, I do have examples. Yeah, bring um, up. my most influential drummer in terms of superheroes in the drumming world, Mike Portnoy of the band Dream Theater. I'm wearing my Dream Theater nice. shirt today because you know, show the love. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, he's no longer with the band. He parted ways with the group in 2010 it was that was a rough time for me because i had been like acolyte of dream theater for yeah. five years at that point and so mike portnoy left the band my first and only love interest broke up with me and my grandmother died all within a three week period oh my so god <laughs> september 2010 was not very good to me <laughs> Oh my god! I was just like the world as I know it is falling apart. Yeah, right. Um, I, you know, he's still doing other things. I got back together with said girl, and now we've been married for almost four years. Oh, um, so you know, things come, you know, it comes together in a good way, whether you like it <laughs> yeah. or not. Um, so, Dream Theater, uh, still like the titans of progressive rock, and the best way I've kind of described progressive rock to people is musicians who look at the pop song structure. Verse, chorus, verse, two, chorus, bridge, guitar, solo, chorus. They see that 
kind of recipe and say, that's, that's really boring. Right. Let's do something else. Let's write a song where nothing repeats and it's 14 minutes long. Go. Okay, so take us on a prog rock journey. All right. So this is a little snippet for one of their songs. Um, and What song? It's actually an instrumentally, they called it. It was kind of this orchestration of a hybrid of all of their instrumental sections or purely instrumental songs that they've yeah. written over the past, I think, 15 years of their career at that point. So this is going to be the tail end of it. And I, I chose this because it shows Portnoy's ability to listen to what everyone else is doing, accenting it in a beautiful way, still having a presence for himself while letting everyone else shine in what they're doing. It's a lot going on, hmm. but this is just what the man does, and this is why I love him dearly. All right. <laughs> yeah. So Bring it take up. it away, Mike. So if you're listening to the guitar and keyboard, he's accenting all the hits. Then all the guitar hits, he's accenting with him. Nice. Is that a double bass pedal? Yeah. If you want to look at his kit, it's just like... He doesn't fool around when it comes oh to big Oh my gosh, kit. so Mike is showing me a video right now, and this guy has like 18 drums all around him. Yeah. He looks like a drum. Huh? He looks like a drummer. Yeah. He's the quintessential drummer in my mind. <laughs> He's doing a bunch of those stick twirls. Yeah. Are you a stick twirler? Um, not so much. Okay. Um, in the drum community. Yeah. What is, What's is the reputation of stick twirlers? What's the, what is stick twirling? It depends on okay your genre. <laughs> uh, it depends on your background. It depends on your audience. You see guys like Travis Barker. People who go to a Blink show, they're looking for, like, awesome rock and roll. Right. Grab your attention. Everything's extra. Everything's flashy. Everything's great. He does that stuff wonderfully. Travis Barker does. Yeah. His showmanship is off the charts. He does this thing sometimes where he's keeping rhythm, and he, like, lifts one arm up in yep. the air while the other one's going. Just keep going. And then he slams down. Yeah. I love that. He's he's tight. Yeah. Not yeah. Again, not one of my, like truly musical influences but i have a high respect for oh i'm sure does. yeah 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 um so it, it's a fine balance between the flashy stick twirls and throwing stuff in the air and all that stuff and like paying attention to the music hmm. so it really just it depends on the audience hmm. um you're not going to see like buddy rich doing much in the yeah. stick twirls <laughs> so uh what's, the, what's stream theater drummer's name again portnoy p-o-r-t-n-o-y portnoy so Mike Portnoy, um, that sounds amazing. Yeah. He's like, he, you don't know he's there unless you're hearing it, mm -hmm. right? Um, is this, how much of this is rehearsed and how much of this is written? Do drummers write music? Absolutely. Okay, do. so I don't associate them with writing music. I For some reason, drummers in my mind are the guys that, or girls. Yeah. Chick drummers, shout out. Oh, yeah. Need more of you. <laughs> um, who can just get on stage and the other instruments start jamming and then the drummer comes in and just starts doo -doo 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 -doo, like filling in sure. themselves. No. Um, drums. What I love about drums is they can be very rehearsed, very refined, but it leaves a lot of room for play. Yeah. So what we just heard, most of that is very rehearsed um, with, you know, random little accents here and there just for fun and the live experience. But as a whole, Dream Theater is very like pre-calculated what they're doing when they it sounds go like on a stage. Lot's going on. There's a lot. It's they're they're too good. Yeah. Are there different styles of drummers? Yes. Um, and that really just depends on their musical backgrounds and tastes. There's different like upbringings in terms of lessons, which directions you can go. Um, there's uh, different schools of thought on how drums hmm. i should have brought a pair of drumsticks but i didn't okay. shame on me shame on you um 
And you call yourself a drunk. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) So very obvious school of thought difference is you see some guys and they're playing, you know, with their drumsticks, kind of both straightforward. You see a lot of like jazz guys where their left hand is like a cross stick where it's kind of different, kind of classical drum cadence, snare drum stuff. Um, People have been kind of evolving more towards the match grip, which is both hands doing the same thing uh, as kind of just a better way to teach people Hmm. um, because you're not focusing on this hand has to hold it this way. This hand has to hold it this way. It is your hands have to do this, how they're holding it. Don't worry about it. That'll just come to you. If you find out later in your career that, you come up with this new revolutionary way to hold a stick that no one in history has ever done. By all means, do it. Yeah, explore um, that. Yeah. But there are some guys who are like, yo, our ancestors, they had that side stick thing going on. Right. You do it. It's tradition. Yeah. Tradition. <laughs> Is Drum has a pretty deep tradition. Yes. I mean, I guess heart, if you want to go back to heartbeats. Yeah. Absolutely. But when you say classical... Like, what time period are you referencing? What, um, what culture are you referencing? Because I think of, like, if you want to talk real classical drums, I'm thinking, like, bongos. Like yeah. chilling in the plains. So, human beings. when it comes to, like, primitive drums, you got your wood shell, you got your real animal skin head. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of it until, you know, you hit the Baroque era where they're coming up with, like, snare drums. Um, maybe a little later than Baroque. Um, I think of a like lot of like colonialism the, has snare drums. Yeah, like the drummer boys. But that stuff. was that was like the layman's drum. Yeah. If you go to Europe at the time, there was like huge orchestral movements where they were using more um, polished and scientific approaches mm. to creating snare drums. You had your timpanis, which are the big bronze suckers that boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Boom. Um, so that was kind of it in terms of percussion. You had your cymbal guy in the orchestra, but it was always multiple people who had to be involved. Um, it wasn't until like early uh, 1900s where that kind of changed, where you were looking at uh, band pits in like local theaters where you couldn't really have four percussionists set up. You needed to condense it into one. Right. So that kind of started the, you know, modern drum set as we know it. Um, It was really pushed in um, the early 1900s when the drum company Ludwig patented this, um, the bass drum battle as we know it today. Wow. Um, And that without it, we couldn't have what we know of a guy sitting on a stool and his bass drum and his snare and everything in front of him. He would have to be standing and using, you know, multiple different hands or multiple different people yeah. to do what you can now do. Bass pedal's clutch. Yeah. It's, it's so, brilliant. It's so clutch. Imagine like where modern music would be without it. Yeah. It's non-existent. That was a huge turning point. And then the gigging drummer outside of theaters kind of became a thing around world war ii that kind of era and something else needed to change and that was drum heads they were still using animal skins and those things are not forgiving to atmospheres and weather changes and humidity it sucks i've dealt with real animal skin like Whoa. drum heads <laughs> i was actually going to a show with red lights and plastic, we had the truck all <laughs> all packed up, and there was no room for my djembe other than between my legs where I was sitting in the truck. And we're going down the highway, oh and there was gosh. like a pressure change. I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden, boom, I hear this loud noise. I thought we blew a tire, but no. I look down. The skin head had just blown wide open what? because of a pl- pressure change. Well, I, needless to say, I didn't use the djembe that night because <laughs> I couldn't. That's amazing. Um, so, you know, the touring drummer at the time needed something new. And this uh, that's when the Remo Company started in uh, 1957, I have written in my notes. Nice. And he started making drum heads out of mylar, which is a plastic, 
as a substitute for real animal skins because you look at the Remo logo, it still says Remo, the weather king. And that was because it was the king of the weather. It doesn't matter what the humidity was or the nice. temperature. Yeah. Those heads are going to stay. You don't have to worry about them snapping because of a humidity change yeah. in the afternoon. And that was another huge point in you know, the modern drummer mm. and modern music. Those two inventions. And there's, those still are standard now? Standard. Mylar is standard. Y- yep. Across the... You know, Remo's still like top dog. There are other like it's v- impressive, very very great drumhead manufacturers. Yeah. I'm a dedicated Remo guy. Nice. I'm, I'm a brand person. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I find my brand to stick to it. Yeah. Did uh, do you have anything else? Did you bring any other sound samples? Uh, I did. If we wanted to talk, going back a little bit to the difference between, um, you know a good drummer and a bad drummer, technical drummer versus a non-technical drummer. Um, these two songs, I think, kind of capture the difference between music that requires a drummer to be self-serving and one that requires a drummer to serve the music but still be tasteful and kind of stand mm-hmm. up for himself. Mm-hmm. So I like the notion of drums and music as sometimes requiring you to be flashy mm-hmm. that's a really cool spot to be Absolutely. And like music is like no the song actually needs you to kick ass right now yeah like go do it yeah <laughs> yeah that's, that's, that's kind of cool so one of the most insane kick-ass drummers uh currently is this dude called thomas pridgen he um he's i think he was 13 when he won the first guitar center drum off which was like this nationwide drum uh what's the word i'm looking contest. for contest there nice. you go there it is um and yeah he was like 13 14 years old and he just showed everyone what's what got sponsored by zildjian which is like the biggest name and symbols on the planet okay at 14 what wow. is that got yeah, a full yeah. ride to uh berkeley for music it's just he's just one of those guys anyways so uh, one of the first groups that he started playing with once he kind of got out of college was this group called the Mars Volta, uh, Mexican prog rock. It's not, it's not very popular in the States. Okay. But uh, here's a perfect example of a drummer that needs to stand up, do what he do, and yeah, here we go. Are you going to play? Yeah. Wow. Um, I listened to him, and I just feel like I lost. I didn't know I was like in the running, but I just lost. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it doesn't game, matter. Yeah, right. He just takes me to a different place yeah. mentally. But yeah, that's a situation where, you know, drums, flashy, do all of it, go. Right. And that was what the song required of him. But then you go back to uh, the 80s with Paul Simon and uh, this drummer, Steve Gadd, did this particular studio session. 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. For all those people who grew up with this Paul Simon. Uh, Lay it on us. You'll, you'll love and appreciate this. Still cool. Very unique flavor. But yeah. It's, it's setting the pace for what's to come. Yeah, yeah the drummer's present there, but mm-hmm. not flashy. Right. Oh, yeah. And then the drummer kind of like fades in the back Mm -hmm. a little bit. And you hardly know he's there. Right. Because now Paul is doing his thing. And he was just, uh, Steve Gadd was just a conduit. Yeah. Set this up for the guy. Problem is all inside your head, she said to me. This is good. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect example of the two requirements. And. Steve Gadd, my goodness, the things that man can do and what he was in terms of like setting up future drummers. Like people like Thomas Pridgen are only as great as they are because they're standing on the shoulder of 
giants right like the steve gads of that era right and whatnot uh i i guess one point that i wanted to bring up about me personally as a drummer yeah. you were asking about my beginning formative years as yep. a drummer um i was challenged once to come up with the mount rushmore of drummers in your world the four guys that were like the guys i'm a big fan of mount rushmore question for yes yeah. <laughs> so uh if you want your homework ladies and gentlemen we went over mike portnoy he kind of taught me to respect what everyone else is doing and let them shine and you're kind of secondary but still stand up for yourself hmm. uh there's a life lesson in there absolutely that's really good. absolutely um number two mr danny carey from the band tool um, he very much taught me how you can grab like very primal sounding like hand percussion and kind of translate that into the modern drum set. Do you have any of him? Um, I do. Uh, and another great thing I love about him is his ability to foreshadow sequences in the music where they're on one musical segment and he just kind of, you know, goes to left field and starts doing something else. And you're like, what, what are you doing, Danny? And then you, everyone else kind of moves to where he is. And you're like, oh, That's what he was doing. it's all coming together. Yeah, play some tool. Do you have yeah. the tool that you have? Yeah. Um, so this is like the middle section of a song called Rosetta Stoned off of the 10,000 Days album, one of the best albums ever recorded, in my mm. opinion. Here we go. A little heavier. Starting. Yeah. Totally started doing that before the singer did. Right. That's cool. Then he starts moving to something else a little bit. Wow. Foreshadowing the bass. Yeah, yeah. Um, He's like, hey, I'm going over here. You guys follow me. Right. So that's like the drummer leading, which is very strange, but he doesn't without you even knowing it's happening. Yeah. Um, a little further on, let me find it. He starts setting that precedence a little early. Oh, accent. Yeah. Yeah. It'll go back to it in a second. So that kind of like weird offset rhythmic pattern is kind of established now without you even knowing it happened. Right. And then we go into the next segment and listen to the, what the bass is doing. Wow, that's really cool. You don't even know what's happening. You don't. He just does it. Yeah, and if you don't, if you don't listen, you're going to lose it. Yeah. That's kind of cool. So... That's yeah. That's okay. what Danny Carey did for me. Drummer two or four. I love I love this little love letter here that we're ending <laughs> with to all of your drummers. I hope they listen. I hope so. <laughs> uh, Mike Portnoy, if you're listening to this, I love you. You're my spirit animal. Uh, number three on Mount Rushmore, uh, Carter Beaufort from the Dave Matthews Band. Interesting direction that you right? took us. Yeah. <laughs> this dude sets this funky atmosphere with everything he does like n- nobody else really okay on the market on the market the drummer market whatever yeah I-, I was having troubles finding like the moment that i could use as an example for this but this is this is a good enough space Really weird accents. Yeah. But your head just starts bobbing. You can't yeah, help I'm it. Bobbing. It's, it's, I'm bobbing. He right just now. does it to you. Just yeah. Good. The the flavor that that dude establishes is. Dave Matthews, his voice really goes into it. Too. Oh yeah. yeah, he's all the guys on that band. What's are. what's that really long Dave Matthews song? Number f- 
what is it number 41 yeah is it is that, that's what it's called number i think 41? so yeah i love that song dude that's a great song he just writes great stuff yeah, yeah. um request Are you, do you have a spotify account and do you use it yeah i would love for you to make a spotify playlist that i can put in the description of this show that somebody can go jump in and listen challenge accepted all right so stay <laughs> tuned for that okay drummer three of four dave matthews band yeah carter beaufort this is in no order right no uh, yeah, no no yeah. no um mike portnoy holds like a very special place in my heart but they all kind of formed me into yeah. what i am musically number four on the list is mr gavin harrison a british chap uh he kind of became famous in the prog rock setting through the band porcupine tree he has since they've kind of since dissolved and he's done other things but um what I love about him is he takes uh, the grace of jazz music because he was, you know, he was raised in a jazz setting and applying that to progressive rock. And okay. it sets a very different tone. Um, his use of different bells and whistle accents within open spaces to kind of fill it out. So good. So good. So this is Porcupine Tree, Gavin Harrison. That cool, like, shuffle vibe he's doing on the snare. Yeah. I correct me if I'm wrong. Music to me, feel, maybe it's just what I'm listening to. To be honest, okay. Um, very minimal percussion, mm-hmm. but the percussion that is there is very loud, like a loud bass, and then just like a often electronic. Okay. Like I feel like pop is moving towards like minimal percussion and towards like synth music right now. Sure, where it's driven by that bass drum. Do do. Yeah, just like a minimalism to the percussion. Got it. Yeah, God, that was kind of established with like disco in the '80s. Okay, I think we're going back there then, possibly. But so that that's a, that what you displayed to me. Like, if you told me that it came, when did that song come out? Uh, two thousand five. Yeah, that's like a very two thousand five sound. And so when I when you were playing that, I was thinking that doesn't sound like a lot of popular music today. Mm-hmm. So where is the space for that kind of drummer? today does that make sense i don't think a lot of bands are like fighting over like we need we need a guy who can hit a double bass really fast and it depends on your genre right um there are still metal heads out there we are few but strong <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you will rise again yeah so there's always going to be a need for that uh it's much more uh prevalent in uh a lot of european countries in the states you don't really hear that kind of cool. stuff like um uh, the front man for Porcupine Tree, Stephen Wilson. After they dissolved, he's kind of started his own solo career, and it's amazing what he does. His album that came mm-hmm. out last year was, I think it was, did it hit number? No, it hit number two in the top charts. Oh wow! In England, but you would never hear something like that in the states. I bet most people who are listening to this never even knew of Porcupine Tree yeah. or Stephen Wilson. Right. But those kind of people, the more like Pink Floyd esque kind of progressive bands still have a name for themselves you go to um sweden you go to countries germany metal is huge there and you need those like big flashy double bass Mm -hmm. blast beats kind of drummers right but there's that doesn't really sell here so what does sell here is your disco beats and your very that's what's in right now simple we're going back to the 80s right now right in a real way but those flashy drummers still need you know still need to make ends meet uh (laughs) after going back to um the mars volta who i showed you earlier with thomas bridge and he left the group and i am totally blanking on their current drummer's name but he's equally phenomenal wow i was flipping through youtube one day and like one of the recommended videos was miley cyrus playing on the ellen show 
and who's playing drums at the Ellen show? The guy who currently plays for Martin the Mars Volta. Volta. Get out of here. He still needs to, you know, still need make it. the money. That's right. You know, do what do what the song needs. I that's don't right. think that's so drummers, good drummers, there's still a market for them. It's just more underground. Right. Which is sad to me. To close this out, what do you want people to know about the drumming world? When people when when the listeners are at their next concert. Yep. What do you want them to look for? What do you want them to listen for? What do you want them to appreciate? The next time you sit in your car, turn on the radio. Doesn't matter what song is playing. If it's a song you never heard, your favorite tune, whatever it may Mm be, listen to the drums. What are they trying to speak? Are they setting just bare bones, like rhythmic? Are they just being a metronome simply? It's establishing tempo. Yeah. Or are they accenting different colors are they kind of focusing on what the bass is doing which often is the case are they coloring and accenting what the guitar player is doing pay attention to that don't sing along with the song just sit back and try to tune into that hmm. and see uh see what comes to you give some love to those who try to remain out of the spot yeah, yeah yeah love it thank you mike Not a problem. this was awesome this was great i know way more about drums now cool i think i do i don't know <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to give me a report a few weeks from now and say yo i was listening to this and i yeah, never yeah. noticed it yeah. but here it is the whole time so you'll have a playlist available i will get to work on that okay. for sure. Yeah. and um i'll put it in the show description and thanks for coming by thanks this for having me this is cool thanks for listening to another episode of my obsession i wanted to close out with a background drum solo by the one and only travis barker from link 182 i had to squeeze him in here somewhere i'm sorry if you enjoy this conversation it'd be a huge help if you rate and review the show on itunes that really does go a long way thanks to all who have already written reviews they make me smile and laugh and uh, i really appreciate it finally i want to talk to you about your obsession if you or somebody you know would like to come on the show, you can email me at myobsessionpodcast at gmail.com. My Obsession is produced by me, Marcus Privet, and much thanks to all the guests who gave me a few hours to record with them. Super thanks to Tony Wallace and High Rock North Shore Church, who graciously helped me upgrade my recording setup for season two this year. All guests' opinions in all of our episodes are their own opinions. Music is written and provided by the artist State Shirt, but this solo is Travis Barker, of course. I am Marcus Privet. Until next time.